Well, good morning. My name is Zach Thompson. I am one of the pastors at Calvary Bible Church. And this past week, I was thinking that there are fads or trends just about everywhere in our lives. I mean, we think about it in churches as well. There's, there's a popular uh, a small group curriculum that's going around, or a, a sermon series that just every church seems to be doing, or in business and leadership, a, a model that you have to be following until next year when it's a different model you have to be following. Or what about this? Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders. anyone ever heard of those before? Well, we don't need them anymore because now we have the Enneagram. Or what about how everyone seemed to be watching the documentary series, The Making of a Murderer, a few years ago? Or about how Tiger King viewership got bumped for The Queen's Gambit? There are, uh, there are fads or trends everywhere. I, I like to think of myself as not much of a, a fad chaser. And some of that is just because it's, it's very hard for me to keep up with what's going on. But the other part is uh, I spent a lot of energy and effort trying to follow every trend that I could. This got started for me back in uh, upper elementary and in a middle school where my oversized jeans and bleached hair turned into quoting lines from Nickelodeon shows, but only the right Nickelodeon shows. And then that turned into collecting Pokemon cards. But the biggest trend that I participated in was the skate culture, the skateboard culture. It seemed like shops just started overnight all over the place. Skate parks were, were opened and then shut down as they were deemed too dangerous. People put uh, protections on every curb and rail to make sure that no one uh, decided to grind them. Tony Hawk landed a trick that was thought to be impossible and then launched a bunch of video games about the sport. I ate it all up. I was all about it. But the most important thing for me is I had to have all of the right clothes. Every year for back to school, school shopping, I would get into arguments with my parents. No, it has to be these shoes that I get. Or uh, it, it had to be just the right branded t-shirts. This one, not the one that looks exactly like it. That's a different brand. My parents joked that I cared so much more about wearing the right clothes than my sisters did. I didn't know what to do with that. But here's the thing. I didn't skate. I had a skateboard, yeah, but I never used it. I just really liked the culture, and so I did what I could to fit into it, except for, you know, the actual skateboarding part. And because of that, I would face a little bit of ridicule. See, to a middle school mind, it was simple. Can you skate? If you had proof that you could, then everything's great. But if you didn't, then you were called the worst thing ever, a poser, a fake, someone who looks the part, who maybe even can talk the parts, but you weren't it. You couldn't prove that you could skate and you weren't it. Today in our passage, Jesus is going to talk about something similar, not so much how to kickflip, but that idea, how do we prove that we are following Jesus? How do we prove that we are disciples, followers of Jesus? We're in this series called Jesus I Am. Who does Jesus say that he is, and how does that change who we are? 
Jesus makes these seven I am statements throughout the gospel of John, one of the books of the Bible. And we've been looking at all of them. And in this last I am statement we are in, Jesus is going to help us see how do we prove that we are following Jesus. We talked last week, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to his death. He is leaving his disciples, but he wants to encourage them. He wants to calm their troubled hearts, John says. But the problem is, is there's a lot to be troubled about. Jesus, in in John 14, our, our passage last week, he talks about how that there is an enemy out there who is coming. The ruler of the world, he calls them, he calls this enemy, Satan, the devil, coming against his people. Now, you might have had one of a couple of reactions while you're sitting in the chair, as, as I said, Satan or the devil. And I encourage you, come back March 7th. We want to talk about this very real enemy together on March 7th. But there's an enemy. And more than that, in John 15, which is our passage today, our chapter that we're in, Jesus continues past where we will be reading and says, if the world hates me, Jesus says, you can be sure they will hate you. Okay, so an enemy against the church, the world hating us, that sounds like a lot to be troubled about. So what encouragement does Jesus give to his followers? How do they know that they are one of his followers, even in the midst of all this difficulty and uncertainty? Jesus tells them a simple command, abide in me, abide in Jesus. Marcus did a great job reading this passage for us, but want to return back to John chapter 15. I'll read one through six because we want to keep this as our focus throughout this entire morning. John 15 verses one through six says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, someone who takes care of a vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit uh, by itself unless it abides, uh, neither can you I'm sorry, I got lost in there. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. So as we read this passage, there, there might be a handful of questions that you have, but, but three key ones stuck out to me that will kind of structure our time together this morning. Why abide in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What happens when we abide in Jesus? Did you get those three? Why abide in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What happens when we abide in Jesus? What was the first question? Why abide in Jesus? You guys are doing great. Yeah, you're going to get that, weren't you? I bet. Why abide in Jesus is exactly right. Well, throughout these I am statements, Jesus has been saying something that we can understand as readers of the Bible in 2021 in in the state of Colorado. We can understand what he's saying, but we are missing some of it if we don't understand the background 
He's speaking to Jewish people who have a Jewish background. And if we don't understand that background, we might miss part of it. Uh, let, me, let me give an example. Uh, so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we can read that and say, yes, Jesus provides everything we need. But to the Jewish audience, they would have heard that and thought, but God is the one who provides what we need. So why is Jesus saying that he is? And they would have thought about that. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But he says this at a festival where the Jewish leaders, or sorry, where the Jewish people were celebrating that their ancestors were led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire, of light. And now Jesus says, I am the light. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And we could say, yes, so this means Jesus leads us like a good shepherd. But the Jewish leaders were supposed to be shepherds. And so Jesus is saying to them, I have come to be the leader you have failed to be. In each one of these I am statements, there's something more that's going on that we might miss if we don't understand the Jewish background. And that's going on in this I am statement as well. But it goes a little bit further. Jesus isn't just saying, I am fulfilling part of Israel's history. He's saying, I am fulfilling Israel. He says uh, right there, the first five verses, I am the true vine. Why true? Anyone wonder about that? Why does it say the true vine? Is there some false vine? Well, yes, there is. See, throughout the Old Testament, the image of a vine is used for Israel. Uh, let's flip back to uh, Isaiah chapter 5. So Isaiah 5, it's in the Old Testament. It's, it's a little bit to get back there. It takes me about this much to get to Isaiah. I don't know how much it takes you, but let's flip back about that much to get to Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter 5, uh, there's this poem or this illustration of God caring for his vines, his vineyard. And it talks about everything that God does for them. It, it like clears the land, makes sure that they're protected, makes sure they have everything that they need. And as a result, when God goes to look for fruit from his vines, from his vineyard, all he finds are wild, sour, useless grapes. So what does God do? This is Isaiah 5, starting in verse 5. It says, and now I, this is God speaking, will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed or, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that there will rain no rain upon it. <clears throat> so, the language is pretty clear. God is removing this vineyard. He is no longer counting this vineyard as his. So the question is, what is the vineyard? Fantastic segue, because it tells us right there in verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is what? Is anyone still there? Yeah, exactly right. The house of Israel. Thank you. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So after all the love and care that God showed to his people, of all the protection and nourishment and compassion he showed to his people Israel, they rejected him. They refused him. They produced worthless fruit. 
And so God is saying that he will no longer count this as his vineyard. This doesn't mean he completely does away with with the Jewish people, but instead he offers a new hope. With the coming of Jesus, God provides a new way to be counted as one of his people. It's no longer being born into just one people group. It's not being part of one vineyard out of many. It is only through Jesus. We are included into the people of God through Jesus. And I think the passage tells us, John 15, to flip all the way back there, I think it tells us this. We'll camp out uh, in verse 5 for a little bit, because I, I think this verse, more than any other, summarizes what is going on in this entire chapter. So Jesus says in John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine. Jesus has come as the vine. Where Israel failed as a vineyard, he has come as the true vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It is only by affixing our lives to Jesus as the true vine that we are included in God's people. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that God includes us into his people. So why do we abide in Jesus? Because that is how we are included in God's people. Now, this word abide, I, I've said it a couple times, and we don't really use the word abide too much any, anymore unless if we're watching The Big Lebowski. So my, my question for you, um, kids that are in here, if you grabbed one of the, the bags from us, there's a section on that sheet of paper that says, words I heard, but I don't know. And I don't know if you see that at all in there, but maybe abide is, is one of those words. Maybe you hear me talking about it, but you might not know what abide means. I'm sure there's some grown-ups in this room that wish we had a section that say, said word that we heard, but we don't know, so we could write abide down there. So I think it might be helpful as we use the word abide to, in our minds, kind of change it for a different word, one that we're more used to and one that means the same thing. So when we see the word abide, we can read it as remain, remain, dwell, stay. Jesus says, abide in me. And so that means Jesus saying, remain in me. And to remain in Jesus means that we are included in God's people. But the question is, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to remain in Jesus? And that was our second question, right? What does it mean to abide in Jesus, to be attached to him like branches are attached to a vine? Well, and we saw that, right? This is, this is coming straight from the passage, to abide in him. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. We are told to abide in Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, yes, it means to believe in him. Yes, it means to trust him. Yes, it means to know what Jesus has done for us. But it's more than that. Look at how vivid the language is. You are branches attached to a vine. Branches have no life in themselves. They don't don't go to the roots. It's the vine that is providing life to the branches. 
So as we are called to abide, to remain in Jesus, it means to see him as our sole source of life, to find all of our nutrients and nourishment and direction from him, the true vine. Okay, that sounds very spiritual and and mystical. So what what does it actually look like in our lives to to abide in Jesus like a branch that abides in in the true vine? What does that actually look like in our lives? Well, it means that in all things, we find our comfort, our joy, our life, our hope, our direction, our identity, our dreams, our goal— We find all of that in Jesus. It means in times of trouble, we go to him for for a direction. It's we take our pains and our hurts to him. It's we take our failures straight to Jesus. In every aspect of life, we turn to him for life. We turn to Jesus in all things and for all things. Let's get even more specific. Uh, When we are parenting our child and we don't know what to do, we feel we're at our wit's end. Rather than wandering aisle by aisle trying to find the perfect self-help parenting book, we turn straight to Jesus. It's when there is a situation at work or school that has just been going bad, and no matter how hard we try, it just doesn't seem to get better. We turn to Jesus for comfort and direction. It's when we have conflict with our our spouse or our brother or sister, you know, hypothetically, uh, we turn to Jesus with that. It's as the world around us, the culture around us, starts to put different purpose on things that we did not see coming, as it starts to change what it values, as it starts to change at times, even as it defines words, In all things, we turn to Jesus for our identity and purpose and life. That is what it means to abide in Jesus. Okay, this still might sound a little mystical and spiritual, and in a sense it is, but what the Bible does time and time again is it places emphasis on our minds. What we are focused on, we will follow. So as we continue to fill our lives with Jesus, as we continue to remind ourselves constantly of who he is and what he's done for us, as we are enveloped, surrounded by his love and his purpose for us, the rest of us will follow. We will turn to him in all things for life. Now, this isn't something that we do. We don't abide in Jesus to earn his love. We abide because he's given us his love. And we don't be be, uh, filled with shame or or guilt if we miss it, if we need outside counsel, or if we do wander bookshelves for a self-help book. Sometimes we need those things. Those, Those aren't bad. But it's we turn to Jesus. We abide in Jesus because we recognize who he is. We recognize what he's done. And we recognize that he and he alone is worth abiding in. He and he alone is worth focusing on. He and he alone can give us life. Like the vine to the branches, we abide in Jesus. 
So why do we abide in Jesus? Well, that's how we are included in God's people. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, this is in all things we turn to Jesus for all things. He is our source of life. And what was the third question? Yeah, it's been a while. What was it? Yeah, what happens when we abide in Jesus? What happens when we abide in Jesus? Well, we bear fruit. I told you, we keep coming back to verse 5, and, and there it is again. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's, there's certainty there. He it is, the one abiding, bears fruit. Now, fruit has popped up a couple times so far this morning, right? We are in Isaiah, and Israel was rejected in, uh, rejected in part because they bore worthless fruits. And bearing fruit is all over this passage. So what is fruit in this context? Well, a, a very simple definition uh, is fruit is the good works or the good character God commands of his followers, of his people. The good works or the good character. And we have examples throughout the Bible of what fruit looks like. Uh, there's take care of the widow and the orphan. That is fruit. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is fruit. What the life that God is calling his followers to do. And in our passage as well, if, if you were to continue reading in John 15, you'll see a little bit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, praying boldly is a fruit. Uh, continuing on in, in um, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, following what God has called us to do, that's a fruit. Verse 12, love one another. As we have seen the love that Jesus has shown us, this fruit comes out of that. Now, in, in no way are these all the, the fruits that we are called to do, as fruitfulness looks like Christ-likeness. I'm going to say that again. Fruitfulness, a life full of fruits, looks like Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. Jesus has come and given us the ultimate example of what a life that bears fruit looks like with his own life. And just as you look throughout the Gospels, as you look throughout the story of Jesus, you see fruit all over it. From, from our passage, he, he kept every commandment. He prayed boldly. But we also see love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He lived a life of fruit. So we are called, as people who are abiding in Jesus, to live a life of fruit as well. well what does that look like? Uh, let me start by answering that by saying what it doesn't look like. Bearing fruit does not make you a follower of Jesus. Get the order of this right. Whoever abides in me bears fruit. It does not say whoever bears fruit abides in me. Do you see the difference there? Fruit does not make something. It proves something. Think about it like this. Uh, so you go to a plant nursery or a garden center, and you really want to buy an apple tree. So you grab one, but it's out of season, so there's no fruit on the tree. So you, you want to make sure. You, you don't want to plant it and turn out it's something awful. You want an apple tree. So you talk to the person working there, and they, they swear, yes, it's an apple tree. The, the tag on it says it's an apple tree, but you still aren't sure. So you take it to an arborist or, or an expert, 
and, and you ask them, is this an apple tree? And they say, in my 40 years of working here, can guarantee, yes, it's an apple tree. So you go plant it, you take care of it as you're supposed to. And one day you walk out and you see apples growing on the tree and you say, yes, now it's an apple tree. That's not how it works, is it? It's been an apple tree the whole time. It just now proves that it's an apple tree because the fruit that was on it. Didn't one day change its chemical makeup just because fruit popped out of it. It's been an apple tree the whole time. Fruit just proves something. In the same way, we are called to live a life of fruit, not to focus on the fruit. The fruit is the proof of the passage, which is abiding, remaining in Jesus. Fruit is proof of remaining in Jesus. But it's so easy for us to get caught up in focusing on the fruit. It's a byproduct, but we often focus on it like it's the thing. And this makes sense in one regard. We can see it. We can measure it. Oh, this person is living in a way they're clearly not bearing fruits. And we can evaluate that. Or we can go personal and we see, ah, I'm really not doing what I think I'm supposed to. And we're focusing on the fruits. But the problem is it's a byproduct. We're called to focus on Jesus. We're called to focus on abiding, remaining in Jesus. When we focus on the fruit and not remaining in Jesus then what happens is we are cutting it off from its source of life. We instead are trying to do the fruits, the good works, the good commands, living a life like Jesus lived out of our own efforts, our own work, our own energy, and it will never work out that way. Think about it. Uh, New Year's comes along and and you decide, I want to be more patient this year. So you work really, really hard to be patient because we're focusing on the fruits. What happens January 4th? What happens January 1st in the afternoon? We lose patience and all of our work is wasted. It's gone. So we get frustrated. Why is this so hard? Why does it take so long? Why can't I be patient right now? It's a little joke in there for you. But we focus on the fruit. And when we do so, when it's disconnected from the life source, Jesus, the vine, then it's always going to be out of our own efforts. It's like duct taping apples to a barren tree. It might trick some people for a little bit. It might look okay, but there's nothing giving life to that fruit. And so it will die. And we'll have to work really hard to get more apples up there. And we'll get exhausted. We'll work ourselves to the bone. And we'll get bitter. And we'll be lost in, in shame and despair. That's not the life that we're called to live. We're called to live a life that is receiving everything from the vine, and out of that, we bear fruit. When we focus on the fruit, we miss the life, and we miss the ultimate source that the fruit is supposed to bring to us. Look at, look at verse 11. John 15 verse 11 says this, These things I have spoken, Abide in Jesus, bear fruit. These things I have spoken, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That life I described of working hard to produce fruit, does that sound like a joy-filled life? No. Abiding in Jesus, bearing fruit is supposed to be a source of joy for us. 
But when we focus on the fruits, when we focus of trying to get a life that looks like Jesus or to do good works or to follow the commands and good character we are called to do, when we try to do that apart from Jesus, then we miss the entire lifeblood of the Christian. And some in Christianity do this, where it's a life of, am I doing enough? Am I earning God's love? Do I look good to others? And it misses it. And we might sit here and we could say, yeah, some people do do that. What about when things get difficult for us? Do you have that thought? What did I do wrong that made this happen? What could I have done more? We all get caught in this. Because the fruit we can see, we can measure it. But the fruit is a source of joy as we are uh, getting to see constantly who Jesus is and what he has done for us. As we remain in him, as we abide in him, we have fruit come out of us. Some of it is just natural from us experiencing Jesus so much, of us knowing him more, that our lives are shaped and they look more like his That is what we're called to do. The order is important. Those who abide bear fruit. We cannot miss that order. But then there's the other side of Christianity. The, I have been saved by grace. There is nothing that I need to do. It's, uh, it's, a relig- it's not a religion, it's a, it's a relationship. And so you telling me to follow commands, well, that just makes it all about works. And, and that's legalism. And there's some truth to those statements for sure, absolutely. But don't miss how important the fruit is in this passage. Uh, back, to, back to verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. They're removed, they're cut off for not bearing fruits. Clearly, fruits is important in this passage. Yes, the order is, we must have that in mind at all times. Those who abide will bear fruit. We don't do these things. We don't have a Christ-like life to try to earn anything from him. But we also can't miss how important the fruit is here. Think of how many commands are in the Bible. Why would God waste so many words on these things if they're not important? They don't tell us how we're called to live. They don't show us what a life of fruit looks like. But more than that, the biggest motivation of bearing fruit is here in our passage is is verse 8, John 15, 8. It says this, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and what? You just say it. Yeah, and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit proves that you are following Jesus. You might be in every Bible study. You might have perfect attendance at church. Not even negative eight degree weather in a pandemic can keep you away. But if we are not bearing fruits, then we are not proving to be Jesus' disciples. We might say all the right things. We might have all the right clothes, but do you skate? If we're not bearing fruit, then we're not proving to be his disciples. Again, keep the order straight. Those who abide will bear fruits. The commands are there. The commands do not earn anything for us. But if we have no desire to live in a way that bears fruit, if we have no desire to live a Christ-like life, are we abiding in him? 
And again, the motivation is found right in the text. In the chapter before, in verse 14, Jesus is talking about the motivation to follow, to obey, to believe in him. Verse 14, verses 23 to 24 says this, Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. Whoever does not love me will not does not keep my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but my Father who sent me. The motivation there is our love for Jesus, which comes from our love that Jesus has shown us. That is what leads to us abiding. That is what leads to us bearing fruit, loving Jesus. Now, let me quickly stop, because we could be going down a bad route. I could be like one of those awful pastors who says, oh, things are going bad in your life. I guess you don't love Jesus hard enough. No, 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 no. That is awful. That is a lie. That is demonic. And it's not in our text. Instead, what we see as we experience more of who Jesus is, as we see what he has done for us, as we have a life that is so shaped and molded by his love for us, it is a natural step to live a life that looks like his. The love is the motivator for us in this. We cannot miss the order. Those who abide bear fruit. But the exact opposite is true. We cannot miss the fruit. It's not workspace religion. It's not legalism. But there is still effort involved in following Jesus. Think about it this way. We have things called the spiritual disciplines, you know, praying, fasting, reading your Bible. They're called disciplines. They're not called spiritual things that just come naturally to us. They're not called spiritual things that we find ourselves accidentally doing because they're so easy to do. That'd be an awful title to begin with, but it's also not true. They're disciplines. It's hard. It's a complete reshaping of who we are to be more and more like Jesus. There's an excellent quote from Dallas Willard who, who says, grace, we are saved by grace. Yes, but grace is not opposed to efforts. It is opposed to earning. Again, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. We bear fruit. We abide in Jesus, not to earn anything from God because he has given us all that we have all that we will ever need, but we do live in a way that bears fruit because he has given all, because he has given us everything we need. We live in a way that bears fruit because we are abiding in him because of all that he's done. We abide in Jesus. Why? Well, that is how we are included in the people of God. Was a mean to abide or remain in Jesus? Well, it means we turn to him for life in all things, for all things. And what happens when we abide in Jesus? Well, we bear fruit. And so as we look at this passage, as we continue to see more of Jesus' love for us, as we are so molded and shaped by who he is and what he has done, are we abiding in him? And as we abide, Our lives will look more and more like him. We will bear fruits because of all that he has done for us, because all that he is for us. So in all of life, we turn to him. So 
desperate for him, like branches on a vine. Sure, there are fruitless seasons that we go through, sometimes of difficulty where we are just clinging to Jesus out of desperation. It's hard to bear fruit when you are so tossed around. Windstrap trees do not bear fruit. But overall, are we continuing to abide in Jesus? Overall, are we seeing the fruits of living a Christ-like life come out of us because we are so shaped by him? Like branches on the true vine, he provides us with everything. And that is good news for troubled hearts. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for coming. We could not live the life that you call us to without the help of your son. We need him for all of life. We need him for direction and hope. We need him for identity, for understanding. We need him to live the life that you have called us to. Help us to not focus solely on the, on the fruit. The fruit is a byproduct. It is the result of you working in us. Help us as well not to leave the fruit completely out, to think that, that you have done it all, and so we just sit back and, and continue life as it was before. As we are shaped by you, as we are molded by you, we want a life that looks like yours. And the effort is a joy for us because we are looking more and more like you, Jesus, whom we love so much. Help us to focus on you and you alone as our source of life, the true vine. See you that we pray.